Part 10 of Bat Wing by Sax Romer. Read by Mark Nelson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bat Wing, Chapter 28 My Theory of the Crime. The afternoon was well advanced before Paul Harley returned. So deep was my conviction that I had hit upon the truth, and so well did my theory stand every test which I could apply to it, that I felt disinclined for conversation with anyone concerned in the tragedy, until I should have submitted the matter to the keen analysis of Harley. Upon the sorrow of Madame de Stemmer I naturally did not intrude, nor did I seek to learn if she had carried out her project of looking upon the dead man. About midday the body was removed, after which an oppressive and awesome stillness seemed to descend upon Cray's folly. Inspector Aylesbury had not returned from his investigations at the guest-house, and, learning that Miss Beverley was remaining with Madame de Stemmer, I declined to face the ordeal of a solitary luncheon in the dining-room, and merely ate a few sandwiches, walking over to the Lavender Arms for a glass of Mrs. Wooten's excellent ale. Here I found the bar-parlour full of local customers, and although a heated discussion was in progress as I opened the door, silence fell upon my appearance. Mrs. Wooten greeted me sadly. "'Ah, sir,' she said, as she placed a mug before me, "'of course you've heard.' "'I have, madam,' I replied, perceiving that she did not know me to be a guest at Cray's Folly. "'Well, well,' she shook her head. It had to come, with all these foreign folk about." She retired to some sanctum at the rear of the bar, and I drank my beer amid one of those silences which sometimes descend upon such a gathering when a stranger appears in its midst. Not until I moved to depart was this silence broken. Then— "'Ah, well,' said an old fellow, evidently a farmhand. We know now why he was priming himself with the drink we do. I came a growling chorus. I came out of the lavender arms full of a knowledge that so far as Midhatton was concerned, Cullen Camber was already found guilty. I had hoped to see something of Val Beverley on my return, but she remained closeted with Madame de Stemmer, and I was left in loneliness to pursue my own reflections and to perfect that theory which had presented itself to my mind. In Harley's absence I had taken it upon myself to give an order to Pedro to the effect that no reporters were to be admitted, and in this I had done well. So quickly does evil news fly that, between midday and the hour of Harley's return, no fewer than five reporters, I believe, presented themselves at Cray's Folly. Some of the more persistent continue to haunt the neighborhood and I had withdrawn to the deserted library, in order to avoid observation, when I heard a car draw up in the courtyard, and a moment later heard Harley asking for me. I hurried out to meet him, and as I appeared at the door of the library, "'Hello, Knox,' he called, running up the steps. "'Any developments?' "'No actual development,' I replied, "'except that several members of the press have been here.' "'You told them nothing?' he asked eagerly. No, they were not admitted. Good, good, he muttered. I had expected you long before this, Harley. Naturally, he said with a sort of irritation, I have been all the way to Whitehall and back. To Whitehall? What, have you been to London? I had half anticipated it, Knox. 
The chief constable, although quite a decent fellow, is a stickler for routine. On the strength of those facts which I thought fit to place before him, he could see no reason for superseding Aylesbury. Accordingly, without further waste of time, I headed straight for Whitehall. You may remember a somewhat elaborate report which I completed upon the eve of our departure from Chancery Lane?" I nodded. A very thankless job for the Home Office, Knox. But I received my reward to-day. Inspector Wessex had been placed in charge of the case, and I hope he will be down here within the hour. Pending his arrival, I am tied hand and foot." We had walked into the library, and stopping suddenly, Harley stared me very hard in the face. "'You are bottling something up, Knox,' he declared. "'Out with it. Has Aylesbury distinguished himself again?' "'No,' I replied. "'On the contrary. He interviewed Madame de Stemmer and came out with a flea in his ear.' "'Good,' said Harley, smiling. "'A clever woman, and a woman of spirit, Knox.' "'You are right,' I replied. "'And you are also right in supposing that I have a communication to make to you.' "'Ah, I thought so. What is it?' It is a theory, Harley, which appears to me to cover the facts of the case." "'Indeed,' said he, continuing to stare at me. "'And what inspired it?' "'I was staring up at the window of the smoke-room to-day, and I remembered the shadow which you had seen upon the blind.' "'Yes,' he cried eagerly. "'And does your theory explain that, too?' "'It does, Harley.' "'Then I am all anxiety to hear it.' "'Very well, then.' I will endeavour to be brief. Do you recollect Miss Beverley's story of the unfamiliar footsteps which passed her door on several occasions?" Perfectly. You recollect that you yourself heard someone crossing the hall, and that both of us heard a door close? We did. And finally, you saw the shadow of a woman upon the blind of the Colonel's private study. Very well. Excluding the preposterous theory of Inspector Aylesbury, there is no woman in Cray's Folly whose footsteps could possibly have been heard in that corridor, and whose shadow could possibly have been seen upon the blind of Colonel Menendez's room." "'I agree,' said Harley quietly. "'I have definitely eliminated all the servants from the case. Therefore, proceed, Knox. I am all attention.' "'I will do so. There is a door on the south side of the house, close to the tower, and opening into the rhododendron shrubbery. This was the door used by Colonel Menendez in his somnambulistic rambles, according to his own account. Now, assuming his statement to have been untrue in one particular, that is, assuming he was not walking in his sleep, but was fully awake— "'Eh?' exclaimed Harley, his expression undergoing a subtle change. "'Do you think his statement was untrue?' "'According to my theory, Harley, his statement was untrue, in this particular at least. But to proceed. Might he not have employed this door to admit a nocturnal visitor?" "'It is feasible,' muttered Harley, watching me closely. "'For the Colonel to descend to this side-door when the household was sleeping,' I continued, "'and to admit a woman secretly to Cray's folly, would have been a simple matter. Indeed, on the occasions of these visits, he might have even unbolted the door himself after Pedro had bolted it in order to enable her to enter without his descending for the purpose of admitting her." "'By heavens, Knox,' said Harley, "'I believe you have it.' His eyes were gleaming excitedly, and I proceeded. "'Hence the footsteps which passed Miss Beverley's door, 
hence the shadow which you saw upon the blind, and the sounds which you detected in the hall were caused, of course, by this woman retiring. It was the door leading into the shrubbery which we heard being closed." "'Continue,' said Harley, although I can plainly see to what this is leading." "'You can see, Harley?' I cried. "'Of course you can see. The enmity between Camber and Menendez is understandable, at least.' "'You mean that Menendez was Mrs. Camber's lover? Don't you agree with me?' "'It is feasible, Knox, dreadfully feasible. But go on.' My theory also explains Cullen Camber's lapse from sobriety. It is legitimate to suppose that his wife, who is a Cuban, had been intimate with Menendez before meeting with Camber. Perhaps she had broken the tie at the time of her marriage, but this is mere supposition. Then her old lover, his infatuation by no means abated, leases the property adjoining that of his successful rival. Knox! exclaimed Paul Harley. This is brilliant! I am all impatience for the denouement. It is coming, I said triumphantly. Relations are re-established, clandestinely. Cullen Camber learns of these. A passionate quarrel ensues, resulting in a long drinking bout designed to drown his sorrows. His love for his wife is so great that he has forgiven her this infidelity. Accordingly, she has promised to see her lover no more. Hers was the figure which you saw outlined upon the blind on the night before the tragedy, Harley. The gestures, which you described as those of despair, furnish evidence to confirm my theory. It was a final meeting." "'Hm,' muttered Harley. "'It would be taking big chances, because we have to suppose, Knox, that these visits to Cray's folly were made whilst her husband was at work in the study. If he had suddenly decided to turn in, all would have been discovered. True, I agreed, but is it impossible? No, not a bit. Women are dreadful gamblers. But continue, Knox. Very well. Colonel Menendez has refused to accept his dismissal, and Mrs. Camber had been compelled to promise, without necessarily intending to carry out the promise, that she would see him again on the following night. She failed to come whereupon he, growing impatient, walked out into the grounds of Cray's Folly to look for her. She may have even intended to come, and have been intercepted by her husband. But in any event, the latter, seeing the man who had wronged him, standing out there in the moonlight, found temptation to be too strong. On the whole, I favor the idea that he had intercepted his wife, and, snatching up a rifle, had actually gone out into the garden with the intention of shooting Menendez. "'I see,' murmured Harley in a low voice. "'This hypothesis, Knox, does not embrace the Batwing episodes.' "'If Menendez has lied upon one point,' I returned, "'it is permissible to suppose that his entire story was merely a tissue of falsehood.' "'I see.' but why did he bring me to Cray's folly? "'Don't you understand, Harley?' I cried excitedly. "'He really feared for his life, since he knew that Camber had discovered the intrigue.' Paul Harley heaved a long sigh. "'I must congratulate you, Knox,' he said gravely, "'upon a really splendid contribution to my case. In several particulars I find myself nearer to the truth.' but the definite establishment or shattering of your theory 
rests upon one thing. What's that? I asked. You are surely not thinking of the batwing nailed upon the door? Not at all, he replied. I am thinking of the seventh yew tree from the northeast corner of the Tudor Garden. Chapter 29 A Lee Enfield Rifle What reply I should have offered to this astonishing remark I cannot say, but at that moment the library door burst open unceremoniously, and outlined against the warmly illuminated hall, where sunlight poured down through the dome, I beheld the figure of Inspector Aylesbury. "'Ah!' he cried loudly. "'So you have come back, Mr. Harley. I thought you had thrown up the case.' "'Did you?' said Harley, smilingly. "'No, I am still persevering in my ineffectual way.' "'Oh, I see. And have you quite convinced yourself that Colin Camber is innocent?' "'In one or two particulars my evidence remains incomplete.' "'Oh, in one or two particulars, eh? But generally speaking you don't doubt his innocence?' "'I don't doubt it for a moment.' Harley's words surprised me. I recognized, of course, that he might merely be bluffing the inspector, but it was totally alien to his character to score a rhetorical success at the expense of what he knew to be the truth. And so sure was I of the accuracy of my deductions that I no longer doubted Cullen Camber to be the guilty man. "'At any rate,' continued the inspector, "'he is in detention, and likely to remain there.' If you are going to defend him at the Assizes, I don't envy you your job, Mr. Harley." He was blatantly triumphant, so that the fact was evident enough that he had obtained some further piece of evidence which he regarded as conclusive. "'I have detained the man Ah Tsong as well,' he went on. "'He was an accomplice of your innocent friend, Mr. Harley.' "'Was he really?' murmured Harley. "'Finally,' continued the inspector, I have only to satisfy myself regarding the person who lured Colonel Menendez out into the grounds last night to have my case complete." I turned aside, unable to trust myself, but Hardy remarked quite coolly, "'Your industry is admirable, Inspector Aylesbury, but I seem to perceive that you have made a very important discovery of some kind.' "'Ah! You have got wind of it, have you?' "'I have no information on the point,' replied Harley but your manner urges me to suggest that perhaps success has crowned your efforts?" "'It has,' replied the inspector. "'I am a man that doesn't do things by halves. I didn't content myself with just staring out of the window of that little hut in the grounds of the guest-house like you did, Mr. Harley, and saying twice one or two, I looked at every book on the shelves, and at every page of those books. You must have materially added to your information. Ah, very likely. But my inquiries didn't stop there. I had the floor up. The floor of the hut? The floor of the hut, sir. The planks were quite loose. I had satisfied myself that it was a likely hiding place. What did you find there? A dead rat? Inspector Aylesbury turned and— Sergeant Butler, he called. The sergeant came forward from the hall carrying a cricket bag. This Inspector Aylesbury took from him, placing it upon the floor of the library at his feet. "'Now, sir,' said he, "'I borrowed this bag in which to bring the evidence away, the hanging evidence which I discovered beneath the floor of the hut.' 
I had turned again when the man had referred to his discovery, and now, glancing at Harley, I saw that his face had grown suddenly very stern. "'Show me your evidence, Inspector?' he asked shortly. "'There can be no objection,' returned the Inspector. Opening the bag, he took out a rifle. Paul Harley's hands were thrust in his coat-pockets. By the movement of the cloth I could see that he had clenched his fists. Here was confirmation of my theory. "'A service rifle,' said the inspector, triumphantly, holding up the weapon. "'A Lee-Enfield charger-loader. It contains four cartridges, three undischarged and one discharged. He had not even troubled to eject it.' The inspector dropped the weapon into the bag with a dramatic movement. "'Fancy theories about bat-wings and voodoos,' he said scornfully, "'may satisfy you, Mr. Harley, but I think this rifle will prove more satisfactory to the coroner.' He picked up the bag and walked out of the library. Harley stood posed in a curiously rigid way, looking after him. Even when the door had closed, he did not change his position at once. Then, turning slowly, he walked to an armchair and sat down. "'Harley,' I said, hesitatingly, "'has this discovery surprised you?' "'Surprised me?' he returned in a low voice. "'It has appalled me.' "'Then, although you seem to regard my theory as sound,' I continued rather resentfully, "'all the time you continue to believe Cullen Camber to be innocent?' "'I believe it so still.' "'What?' "'I thought we had determined, Knox,' he said wearily, that a man of Camber's genius, having decided upon murder, must have arranged for an unassailable alibi. Very well. Are we now to leap to the other end of the scale and to credit him with such utter stupidity as to place hanging evidence where it could not fail to be discovered by the most idiotic policeman? Reserve your balance, Knox. Theories are wild horses. They run away with us. I know that of old for which very reason I always avoid speculation until I have a solid foundation of fact upon which to erect it. "'But, my dear fellow,' I cried, "'was Camber to foresee that the floor of the hut would be taken up?' Harley sighed and leaned back in his chair. "'Do you recollect your first meeting with this man, Knox?' "'Perfectly.' "'What occurred?' "'He was slightly drunk.' "'Yes, but what was the nature of his conversation?' He suggested that I recognize his resemblance to Edgar Allan Poe. Quite. What had led him to make this suggestion? The manner in which I had looked at him, I suppose. Exactly. Although not quite sober, from a mere glance he was able to detect what you were thinking. Do you wish me to believe, Knox, that this same man had not foreseen what the police would think when Colonel Menendez was found shot within a hundred yards of the garden of the guesthouse? I was somewhat taken aback, for Harley's argument was strictly logical, and— "'It is certainly very puzzling,' I admitted. "'Puzzling!' he exclaimed. "'It is maddening. This case is like a Syrian village-mound. Stratum lies under stratum, and in each we meet with evidence of more refined activity than in the last. It seems we have yet to go deeper.' He took out his pipe and began to fill it. "'Tell me about the interview with Madame de Stemmer,' he directed. I took a seat facing him, 
and he did not once interrupt me throughout my account of Inspector Aylesbury's examination of Madame. "'Good,' he commented, when I had told how the inspector was dismissed. "'But at least, Knox, he has a working theory, to which he sticks like an express to the main line, whereas I find myself constantly called upon to readjust my perspective. Directly I can enjoy freedom of movement. However, I shall know whether my hypothesis is a house of cards or a serviceable structure." "'Your hypothesis?' I said. "'Then you really have a theory which is entirely different from mine?' "'Not entirely different, Knox, merely not so comprehensive. I have contented myself thus far with a negative theory, if I may so express it. Negative theory?' "'Exactly. We are dealing, my dear fellow, with a case of bewildering intricacies. For the moment I have focused upon one feature only. What is that? Upon proving that Colin Camber did not do the murder. Did not do it? Precisely, Knox. Respecting the person or persons who did do it, I had preserved a moderately open mind, up to the moment that Inspector Aylesbury entered the library with the Lee Enfield. And then, I said eagerly, then, he replied, I began to think hard. However, since I practice what I preach, or endeavor to do so, I must not permit myself to speculate upon this aspect of the matter until I have tested my theory of Camber's innocence. In other words, I said bitterly, although you encouraged me to unfold my ideas regarding Mrs. Camber, you were merely laughing at me all the time. "'My dear Knox!' exclaimed Harley, jumping up impulsively. "'Please don't be unjust. Is it like me? On the contrary, Knox,' he looked me squarely in the eyes, "'you have given me a platform on which already I have begun to erect one corner of a theory of the crime. Without new facts I can go no further, but this much at least you have done.' "'Thanks, Harley,' I murmured, and indeed I was gratified but where do your other corners rest?" "'They rest,' he said slowly, "'they rest, respectively, upon a bat-wing, a yew-tree, and a lee-and-field charger-loader.'" CHAPTER Thirty, THE SEVENTH YEW-TREE Detective Inspector Wessex arrived at about five o'clock, a quiet, resourceful man, highly competent, and having the appearance of an ex-soldier. His respect for the attainments of Paul Harley alone marked him as a student of character. I knew Essex well, and was delighted when Pedro showed him into the library. "'Thank God you are here, Wessex,' said Harley, when we had exchanged greetings. "'At least I can move. Have you seen the local officer in charge?' "'No,' replied the inspector, "'but I gather that I have been requisitioned over his head.' "'You have,' said Harley grimly, "'and over the head of the chief constable, too. But I suppose it is unfair to condemn a man for the shortcoming with which nature endowed him. Therefore we must endeavour to let Inspector Aylesbury down as lightly as possible. I have an idea that I heard him return a while ago.' He walked out into the hall to make inquiries, and a few moments later I heard Inspector Aylesbury's voice. "'Ah, there you are, Inspector Aylesbury,' said Harley cheerily. "'Will you please step into the library for a moment?' The inspector entered, frowning heavily, followed by my friend. 
There is no earthly reason why we should get at loggerheads over this business, Harley continued. But the fact of the matter is, Inspector Aylesbury, that there are depths in this case to which neither you nor I have yet succeeded in penetrating. You have a reputation to consider, and so have I. Therefore, I am sure you will welcome the cooperation of Detector Inspector Wessex of Scotland Yard as I do." "'What's this? What's this?' said Aylesbury. "'I have made no application to London.' "'Nevertheless, Inspector, it is quite in order,' declared Wessex. "'I have my instructions here, and I have reported to Market Hilton already. You see, the man you have detained is an American citizen.' "'What of that?' Well, he seems to have communicated with his embassy," Wessex glanced significantly at Paul Harley. And the embassy communicated with the Home Office. You mustn't regard my arrival as any reflection on your ability, Inspector Aylesbury. I am sure we can work together quite agreeably." Oh, muttered the other, in evident bewilderment. I see. Well, if that's the way of it, I suppose we must make the best of things. Good cried Wessex heartily. Now, perhaps you will like to state your case against the detained man." "'A sound idea, Wessex,' said Paul Harley. But perhaps, Inspector Aylesbury, before you begin, you would be good enough to speak to the constable on duty at the entrance to the Tudor Garden. I am anxious to take another look at the spot where the body was found." Inspector Aylesbury took out his handkerchief and blew his nose loudly continuing throughout the operation to glare at Paul Harley, and finally, "'You are wasting your time, Mr. Harley,' he declared, as Detective Inspector Wessex will be the first to admit when I have given him the facts of my case. Nevertheless, if you want to examine the garden, do so by all means.' He turned without another word and stamped out of the library, across the hall, and into the courtyard. I will join you again in a few minutes, Wessex," said Paul Harley, following. "'Very good, Mr. Harley,' Wessex answered. "'I know you wouldn't have had me down if the case had been as simple as he seems to think it is.' I joined Harley, and we walked together up the gravel path, meeting Inspector Aylesbury and the constable returning. "'Go ahead, Mr. Harley,' cried the inspector. "'If you can find any stronger evidence than the rifle, I shall be glad to take a look at it.' Harley nodded good-humouredly, and together we descended the steps to the sunken garden. I was intensely curious respecting the investigation which Harley had been so anxious to make here, for I recognised that it was associated with something which he had seen from the window of Camber's hut. We walked along the moss-grown path to the sundial, and stood for a moment looking down at the spot where Menendez had lain. Then he stared up the hill toward the guest-house and finally directing his attention to the yews which lined the sloping bank. One, two, three, four, he counted, checking them with his fingers. Five, six, seven. He mounted the bank and began to examine the trunk of one of the trees, whilst I watched him in growing astonishment. Presently he turned and looked down at me. "'Not a trace, Knox,' he murmured. "'Not a trace. Let's try again.' He moved along to the yew adjoining that which he had already inspected, but presently shook his head and passed to the next. Then, ah! he cried, come here, Knox. I joined him where he was kneeling, staring at what I took to be a large nail, or bolt, protruding from the bark of the tree. You see? he exclaimed. You see? 
I stooped, in order to examine the thing more closely, and as I did so, I realized what it was. It was the bullet which had killed Colonel Menendez. Harley stood upright, his face slightly flushed and his eyes very bright. "'We shall not attempt to remove it, Knox,' he said. "'The depth of penetration may have a tale to tell. The wood of the yew-tree is one of the toughest British varieties.' "'But, Harley,' I said blankly, as we descended to the path, "'this is merely another point for the prosecution of Camber. Unless—' I turned to him in sudden excitement. "'The bullet was of different—no, no,' he murmured, "'nothing so easy as that, Knox. The bullet was fired from a Lee Enfield beyond doubt.' I stared at him uncomprehendingly. "'Then I am utterly out of my depth, Harley. It appears to me that the case against Camber is finally and fatally complete. Only the motive remains to be discovered, and I flatter myself that I have already detected this.' I am certainly inclined to think, admitted Harley, that there is a good deal in your theory. Then, Harley, I said in bewilderment, you do believe that Camber committed the murder? On the contrary, he replied, I am certain that he did not. I stood quite still. You are certain, I began. I told you that the test of my theory, Knox, was to be looked for in the seventh yew from the northeast corner of the Tudor Garden, did I not? You did, and it is there, a bullet fired from a Lee Enfield rifle. Beyond any possible shadow of a doubt, the bullet which killed Colonel Menendez. Beyond any possible shadow of doubt, as you say, Knox, the bullet which killed Colonel Menendez. Therefore, Camber is guilty? On the contrary, therefore, Camber is innocent. What? You are persistently overlooking one little point, Knox, said Harley, mounting the steps onto the gravel path. I spoke of the seventh yew tree from the northeast corner of the garden. Well? Well, my dear fellow, surely you observed that the bullet was embedded in the ninth. I was still groping for the significance of this point when, recrossing the hall, we entered the library again to find Inspector Aylesbury posed squarely before the mantelpiece, stating his case to Essex. "'You see,' he was saying, in his most oratorical manner as we entered, "'every little detail fits perfectly into place. For instance, I find that a woman, called Mrs. Powis, who for the past two years had acted as housekeeper at the guest-house, and never taken a holiday, was sent away recently to her married daughter in London.' See what that means? Her room is at the back of the house, and her evidence would have been fatal. Ah Tsong, of course, is a liar. I made up my mind about that the moment I clapped eyes on him. Mrs. Camber is the only innocent party. She was asleep in the front of the house when the shot was fired, and I believe her when she says that she cannot swear to the matter of distance. A very interesting case, Inspector said Wessex, glancing at Harley. I have not examined the body yet, but I understand that it was a clean wound through the head. The bullet entered the juncture of the nasal and frontal bones, explained Harley rapidly, and it came out between the base of the occipital and first cervical. Without going into unpleasant surgical details, the wound was a perfectly straight one. There was no ricochet. I understand that a regulation rifle was used? 
"'Yes,' said Inspector Aylesbury. "'We have it.' "'And at what range did you say, Inspector?' "'Roughly a hundred yards.' "'Possibly less,' murmured Harley. Hundred yards or less,' said Wessex, musingly. "'And the obstruction met with in the case of a man shot in that way would be—' he looked towards Paul Harley. "'Less than if the bullet had struck the skull higher up,' was the reply. "'It passed clean through.' "'Therefore,' continued Wessex, "'I am waiting to hear, Inspector, where you found the bullet lodged.' "'Eh?' said the Inspector and he slowly turned his prominent eyes in Harley's direction. "'Oh, I see. That's why you wanted to examine the Tudor garden, is it?' "'Exactly,' replied Harley. The face of Inspector Aylesbury grew very red. "'I had deferred looking for the bullet,' he explained, "'as the case was already as clear as daylight. Probably Mr. Harley has discovered it.' "'I have,' said Harley shortly. "'Is it the regulation bullet?' asked Wessex. "'It is. I found it embedded in one of the yew-trees.' "'There you are!' exclaimed Aylesbury. "'There isn't the ghost of a doubt!' Wessex looked at Harley in undisguised perplexity. "'I must say, Mr. Harley,' he admitted, "'that I have never met with a clearer case.' "'Neither have I,' agreed Harley cheerfully. I am going to ask Inspector Aylesbury to return here after nightfall. There is a little experiment which I should like to make, and which would definitely establish my case." "'Your case?' said Aylesbury. "'My case, yes.' "'You are not going to tell me that you still persist in believing Camber to be innocent?' "'Not at all. I am merely going to ask you to return at nightfall to assist me in this minor investigation.' "'If you ask my opinion,' said the inspector, "'no further evidence is needed.' "'I don't agree with you,' replied Harley quietly. "'Whatever your own ideas upon the subject may be, I, personally, have not yet discovered one single piece of convincing evidence for the prosecution of Camber.' "'What?' exclaimed Aylesbury, and even Detective Inspector Wessex stared at the speaker incredulously. "'My dear Inspector Aylesbury,' concluded Harley. When you have witnessed the experiment which I propose to make this evening, you will realize, as I have already realized, that we are faced by a tremendous task. What tremendous task? The task of discovering who shot Colonel Menendez. End of chapter 30